Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Welcome back once again to the Corner of Truth and Courage. You're listening to Fortress of Faith, and today we've got Tyler Hudson with us again. Tyler, good to have you back here on the program. You spent the first week with us here, and yeah, and so far things have been going well. I haven't been voted off the island yet. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. We're still hearing from our listeners there about you, whether we're going to keep you around here on the program. I hope it's not about upper body strength or I'm not going to last long. (laughs) Well, we'll see. It may be your good charm. (laughs) Maybe your good looks. No, I doubt that. But anyhow, well, you know, we've been talking about your, you know, a bit about you and your background. Yeah. Introducing our listeners to you there. But we also have new listeners that come find us in the world of radio. You always have uh, new listeners, and you've got your your old crew. In fact, we have some listeners that have been with us from very from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started Fortress of Faith on the radio in, in February 2011. Okay, on KARI. So over ten years now. Yes, I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, you know, I had friends that was telling me, Brother Wallace, you you know, you you've got to get this message on the radio and I've I you know, I have no background in yeah. radio. I was a missionary overseas, seeing things that was going on there, concerned and burdened for what was what happening what was happening in my home nation. And so, you know, it's been an interesting journey. We kinda had a situation where we grew too quickly. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Uh, we were within three years nationally syndicated. Went from one station, three years later, over 400 stations. Yeah. And I didn't have the staff to deal with that. And it was killing the family. And it just was a, as I described it many times to others there, it's like the train left the station mm-hmm. and I was chasing after it. But uh, we're so thankful for our listeners and our supporters yeah. that make this program happen. Amen. And we're glad to welcome you here to, 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 to the program. So I said we've been talking about... You know your story yeah. last week, uh-huh. and so this week I want to introduce to our listeners, you know, kind of how Fortress of Faith got started and and all that type of stuff there. And as I said, we started in February of of 2011. It has been from the very beginning a project of faith. You know, we do this by faith. I didn't have big deep pockets. I didn't have a big church that I was pastoring that mm-hmm. could fund and support all this. And so we've been. Relying on God. Yeah. We still don't have those things. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. We're, we're, but we still have a great God. Yeah, amen. A big, great God. And I've been amazed to watch him uh, supply and bring all these things in, into play. Absolutely. Just been f- following the Lord in that. Absolutely. So you've kind of already touched a little bit on, on how you got started. I know we've talked a little bit before. You said initially that things things kind of took off for you, and and maybe you said that you know the train was kind of going going too fast for you to catch up with initially. Did a lot of that have to do with the time frame in which you started? Because I remember, um, I remember you said at one point nine eleven had a lot to do with what was going on and the things that were happening in our nation there. And of course, you've uh, time and time before talked and studied about Islam and and different things. How has that been a part of this show? Well, okay, yes, definitely what happened on 9-11 had a major effect on my life and many other people. I mean, everyone 
can go back to that date and say, this is where I was. This is exactly what I was doing. Mm -hmm. We remember that very clearly. It's kind of like how people used to talk about, you know, the shooting of of John F. K. you know, when when he was shot. And they remember all these details and and so on. It was a world-changing event. But I had already been dealing with some issues of Islam as a missionary. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, although in England, people don't think of England as a Muslim country, yeah. and that's it's not. But we have a very large immigrant population of Muslims from um, mainly from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Uh, many of these Asian Muslims have been moving into the country for probably about um, you know seven decades before uh, before 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of that, they've been not only immigrating, and they still do, they keep coming in. We're, we're finding this thing called chain migration right now here in America. Yeah. You bring in one immigrant that comes across the border, and whether he comes in through legally or illegally, <laughs> they're coming in the, into the country, yeah. immigrating, and then they procreate while they're here. And so they have kids, and and then they bring in their cousins. Yeah. The chain migration. You bring in one, and you know, ten years later, eighty cousins and aunts and uncles have come in with them, and uh, that is uh, growing and growing and growing. We saw that in England, and neighborhoods that I grew up in uh, as a missionary kid. We used to have maybe two roads that was filled with Muslims. Mm-hmm. When I when I was a kid, when I went back as an adult, as a missionary, um, you know, it was neighborhoods. I mean, just like one after the another. Yeah, they kept um, taking over everything, and that's not a, anything wrong. But it does bring a culture with them, yeah, and a, and a faith and a and a belief system. And uh, I, you know, was seeing the country that I grew up in changing. And um, it was uh, September 14, 2008. Mm-hmm. Something uh, that we had heard for years and years and years was coming. For 10 years, I remember hearing Sharia laws coming yeah. to England. And I dismissed that as blue sky thinking by Muslims. Ah, oh, it's a pipe dream. It mm-hmm. will, it, and, and I remember telling people, ah, it ain't, ain't going to ever happen. But September 14, 2008, the Times newspaper, and I have that clipping. I mean, it is um, something that was remarkable. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Sharia law actually became part of the legal code in the British law system at that point. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is that the day before, I just returned back to America. And it's always been my habit. I'm a bit of a news junkie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and always go surf uh, the different news sites and stuff. So I was, you know, reading the BBC, reading the Telegraph. And and there it was, front page. Sharia, seven Sharia law courts mm-hmm. were opening with the government's authority. And they listed the towns. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that really blew me away. My hometown where I was living was listed. Mm. My hometown is not a really huge town, Nuneaton. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, you poll most British people and say, well, where's Nuneaton? They say, well, I've heard of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but they don't know. It's not like London, Birmingham, Manchester, you know, York, Lincoln. It's not like a huge 
city. Yeah. But it's right in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. literally. So, uh, when uh, the Romans thought that they found the middle of the country by their mapping system there, they were they put it in Meriden, which is five miles away from Nuneaton. Yeah. They were off. Mm-hmm. Nuneaton is actually the center of the country. And, uh, and five miles from my church is where this center is uh, that they, uh, of all the Sharia law courts that they were opening, Nuneaton was the headquarters. Now, I knew I had a large Muslim population in my community, and I had had to learn, how do you engage these people with the gospel? So you, you wanted part of, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but part, part of what drew you to it then was the fact that you were in a place that had a lot of Muslims, and you had a goal to want to learn to witness to these people. Sure. I mean, that was my initial yeah. thing. Of course, I grew up with Muslims as my friends, as kids, but I didn't really know them as Muslims. I just knew them as Indian, Pakistani, and you know, I knew they had a different faith, a different God. But that really wasn't a part of them. Yeah. It was, it was a cultural thing. It really wasn't a religious thing, honestly, with mm-hmm. the kids I grew up with. So I had some background, some, uh, some moving, some, uh, some so on. But I didn't, you know, some knowledge, but yeah. not, not a whole lot of it. When September 11 happened, uh, you know, the attack, everyone's talking about the 72 virgins. And mm-hmm. I never heard of that before, honestly. Yeah. Um, so I started reading. But I did not want to read what non-Muslims were writing. Although that can be helpful. You know, I'm a non-Muslim, and I write about these things, and it does help people to get to the truth. But I wanted to get it from the horse's mouth. And so back in 2001, I started reading the Quran, And then I started, and I didn't know how to say it yet, uh, the Hadiths. I was saying hadith because everything I had learned was mainly self-taught. Yeah. And I didn't know the pronunciation of things like that. But I, I realized there was more to the... Muslim doctrines mm-hmm. than just their Quran. It was their teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, which was listed in the Hadith. Were you? I would ask this in a general sense for everyone too. Do you think it's a good idea? I mean, obviously, it's good. To, you wanted to figure out from the horse's mouth what is it that they believe and why. And so, in order to do that, you had to read the Quran, right? But is that always a wise idea? I mean, is it, is it not somewhat scary or, or to a point where you need to be careful what it is you're reading because you are dipping your toe into false doctrine to a degree, right? So how do you, how do you figure out where that line is and, and keep yourself from getting in trouble with that? Well, I think it depends. You know, if you're well-rooted in truth and you're convinced and there's nothing that can tear you from that, mm-hmm. um, then you know, perhaps it may be advisable for some to get into this field, not for everyone. So it's not for everybody, you would say, to do this? No, no, I would caution people. But I don't think that there's anything wrong to be educated. Even children, even in schools, people say, horrors, they're teaching Islam in our schools. Yeah. You know, well, okay, Uh, there can be some benefit if they're teaching it from a point, okay, now kids, here's one of the major religions in the world, and here's what they believe. Here's another religion in this world. Here's what they believe. And to give them uh, a synopsis over those things, uh, uh, that's fine. I I don't have a problem with that. Um, And I think it's wise to get some education. It's interesting you mention that. My wife and I have been having this conversation. We have uh, an 18-month-old, another baby on the way, and she she is more of the belief that 
I want to start teaching our kids about other religions. And so at a younger age than I, I honestly have felt comfortable with, because I think, well, wait a minute now, I want them to... I want them to learn about God first, and I want them to learn about God's principles and all these different things. Not because I want them to be ignorant of all those other things, but I don't want them to be getting confused before they're rooted in one thing or another. So that that actually raises a completely different question. I don't mean to draw you off topic here, but so where do you figure out, I mean, what's, what's the proper age to do something like that with? Is it dependent upon the child's maturity maybe, or what? What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, I think children need to have some exposure you know when you get into school you're going to get some uh some things there in england you know we have religious education we have a state church unlike here you know you have separation of church and state and britain and canada you know we have state religions in a sense there and so by default every church is every school is a church of england school in england so we'd have assemblies and so we have religious classes religious re and uh, so you do get exposures to everything, um, and because they're a very pluralistic nation, and Islam especially is growing, if you go to many schools in London today, over 50% of their students are Muslim. Mm-hmm. Over 50%. That's a lot. Um, and we're seeing that up in Birmingham and many other major cities. And so, um, and, and kind of to, to bring this to a close, uh Britain has changed, and the face of Britain, I mean, we now have a Muslim mayor, the prime minister, foreign-born, Indian, I think. And so, you know, we're seeing a huge change in the face of Europe, and that's going to have a profound effect on us here in America. We're going to have to stop there, but tomorrow we'll cover more about this background, and I hope our listeners will join us there at the corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.